Well, one interesting thing is uh, <clears throat> Scott Miller and, and Diana, well, this is before the Diana days, but uh, I worked with Scott Miller uh, in Boston when I first came out of Bible college and did campus ministry in Boston. Me and Scott worked maybe, maybe a couple of years together. Uh, so all of our missionaries have a, a personal connection with us at the church, either with me, I did ministry with them, I know them, I trust them, or they're people who were at this church for years and kind of were sent out doing different things, like Lorena, for example. Um, but Scott's doing an incredible work uh, in a very difficult part of the world. It's kind of neat that we just happened to highlight Scott working in the Jordan because I'm sharing about Israel today, really sharing about my experiences in the last couple of weeks. Um, most of you know, I don't know if we have some pictures coming up. You can put the picture of the camel up. It's always fun to, this is my favorite picture out of like 10,000 pictures that we took. It just doesn't really do it justice with the projection and stuff, but it's, it was just stunning. I couldn't stop looking at this uh, this camel. <laughs> well, you don't see camels around, you know, Rhode Island, okay? <laughs> Although this morning, I did see a few deer and about nine turkeys, all in the same location, uh, in your neighborhood, Max and Josie. I was just happened to be driving around, killing time, because I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, because I'm jet-lagged. <clears throat> um, so I'm just like tooling around the neighborhood and drove down, not your actual street, but you know that, what's that main street that, yeah, like right when you're kind of hitting the bridge, two deer, nine turkeys. This is how this message is going to go. It's going to be a lot of rabbit trails, because <laughs> that's what happens when I'm, when I'm overtired. But I do have a message for you. But anyways, this trip was amazing. It just kind of came to us uh, last moment, really. Some of you have maybe heard the name Nick Fatano. He's uh, a close friend of mine. He's my mentor. Gina Fatano is Tiffany's mentor. They're close friends of ours. So Nick and, and Gina uh, kind of sent us this opportunity very last minute and said, you have about two days to decide. It wasn't very much money at all, um, but it was going to cost a little money and, of course, a couple weeks of our life. Uh, but we, we decided, all right, let's do it. Let's make this happen. Um, so it was just so exciting to, to do this. And Nick led the trip. He kind of co-led the trip with another individual named Paul Conway, which I have a close friendship with as well and connection with. So me and Paul were on staff together before Renaissance Church, which was 20 years ago, um, going way back. For four years, uh, we were on staff at a local church in North Providence, and he was the youth pastor, and I was the ministries pastor, they called it. And so in, in the last 20 years, Paul's gone on, furthered his education, has a PhD, just, you know, so into uh, teaching people about the Holy Land, doing these tours, so passionate. So it was exciting to have Nick and Paul, who I, I know both of these guys, lead this trip. It wasn't just a, like a vacation. It wasn't just educational. It was like a spiritual retreat, which you'll quickly realize as I begin to share some of what I share. The whole thing was um, 
deeply enriching. So we went with a team of, uh, I think it was 41 total, and all ministers and spouses of ministers, just an incredible array of people from around New England, all doing incredible work. And so that in itself was really fun, um, just to be with pastors for a couple weeks and you know, share three meals a day and be walking and traveling. It kind of reminded me of how Jesus traveled with his 12 and, and sometimes uh, more than that in, in so many different places. You really get to know people in a deep way when you, uh, when you spend that kind of time with them. So I really struggle. There's so much I could share. I could really talk about this trip for 10 hours, but I really want to make this um, relevant to you. You know, there's some photos we'll put up, I don't, you know, but I don't want to bore you with like a 500 picture slideshow kind of thing. I just, it's so hard to transfer this experience. Um, so what I want to do is really share with you some of the, the prayers and reflections that I had throughout the trip. Um, I, you know, did some writing here and there. We had some space to do that. I mean, we were so off with our schedule, I couldn't stop getting up really early in the morning. So getting up at like three o'clock in the morning and uh, what am I going to do? Okay. So, you know, that was my time of reflection and writing um, and coffee, lots of coffee. So these uh, <clears throat> ideas that I'm going to share with you are really my experiences. Um, but I think that they will apply to every one of you in, in the work that you're doing. Now, I know there's probably maybe a handful of you who aren't Christian yet or you're still trying to figure things out. This is kind of a more of an insider talk, but I think you know everybody will get something out of it. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a, you're an ambassador, right? You're a messenger. You're a missionary. Uh, maybe not in the formal vocational sense, but you are called to be a city on a hill. And so I think the, the theme of this message this morning is, is really mission. And so I hope that, uh, hope that you get something out of it. So this was my first day, day one reflection. I wrote this, being here in Israel is surreal. It's the actual ground that Abraham, Moses, Elijah walked on. It's called the Holy Land because it's a place set apart by God to demonstrate his glory. Spectacular miracles have been done here. Dividing of the Red Sea, calling down fire from heaven, turning water into wine, walking on water, stilling wind and waves, even the raising of the dead. The blood of great martyrs has been spilled on this ground. I think of Stephen being stoned to death or Isaiah being sawn in half, James being beheaded. The tears of prophets like Jeremiah have seeped into this holy ground. And it's the land where Jesus himself walked. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the land where Judaism and Christianity were birthed. It's a place of conflict still to this day. And it's a place of beauty. 
And I prayed the simple prayer, Lord, open my eyes to understand the significance of this place. Now, again, this is kind of interesting that we were highlighting this morning, just happened to be highlighting Scott Miller and Diana's wife, um, who are now serving with an organization called Live Dead. Uh, because on the, I think it was the first day, I had a, a, a time of, I don't know if it was coffee or over a meal, talking with my mentor, Nick, about his trip. He had just came from Africa and spent, Nick spent, I think, uh, at least a week or 10 days in, I believe it was Kenya, and it was a gathering of all the, the live dead missionaries from kind of the Arab, you know, that Arab world. Live Dead is kind of all over the planet, but this was a gathering of about, I think he said 300 that came together for a conference. So Nick was just sharing with me about this trip uh, to Africa with his friend Eli and with Dick Broden, who is the, I think, the founder, at least he's the director of the Live Dead movement. Um, and so he's just, I'm just listening. I'm just like, just tell me about, about this trip. And so, you know, he tells me that th these are missionaries who are incredibly isolated. Um, they're seeing sparse fruit over many years. Nick said being together with them was like people thirsting in a desert coming together to drink from a mighty fountain of refreshing. The presence of God was palpable. The hunger for God was so strong. And so I'm just kind of reflecting on this. What strikes me is that many of these missionaries are in their 20s. Uh, Nick said 27 is like the average age. They are risking their lives. People are dying. They're giving up not just security and safety, but comforts and fellowship. There's death to ministry fame. They have no fancy buildings. They have no regular ministers' fellowships with coffee and donuts and worship bands. Discipleship is slow. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Often, even if they are discipling multiple people, they cannot even gather them all together because of safety issues. Persecution is a constant threat. Prison, torture, death is a constant looming reality. But they are following Paul, the Apostle Paul, who said, I count not my life dear to myself. Paul said, I no longer live for myself, but for him who died. Paul said, to die is gain. Yes. So my question is this, what does it look like to live dead in New England? So this conversation with Nick happened on day one and really, honestly, colored everything I experienced over the next 10 days. The idea that in 2023, there are 27-year-olds that have given up everything and are risking their very lives to reach unreached people just kind of just wrecked me ruined me in a good way. It didn't make me want to sell my house or learn a new language at my age, be a missionary in a Muslim country though I'm open to whatever the Lord wants me to do. But it drove me to prayer yes. Yes. in asking God how to reach the, the 37,000 people in my little coastal city of Warwick that's 15 minutes from here. And of course, the one million plus people in, in Rhode Island and you know, kind of greater Rhode Island. 
We are surrounded. This is a very unreached part of the world and certainly in America. Well, one verse that really spoke to me during this time is so random, <laughs> uh, but it was, I mean, it literally came to me in, I, I, I couldn't sleep one night. I was thinking about this verse so much. And I'm not going to show the whole context of it, but it's from Acts chapter 26. And by the way, this is going to be like 20 sermons, all right, packed into one, and you'll be like, whoa, okay, shifting gears, all right, we're going different, just, that's how it's going to be. So just fasten your seatbelt, and hopefully you'll get one of the 20, all right? Something will stick. But this is from Acts 26, it says this, and Agrippa said to Paul, some of you are familiar with this, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains, because he was in chains. And that phrase, become such as I am, just burned in my heart. What a prayer. That whether it takes a short time or a long time, I pray to God that all might become such as I am, namely, fully devoted followers of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit. This verse literally kept me up while I'm writing here, kept me up last night. Even in a post-Christian society like New England, it is important to be plain with people. Paul was very straightforward. He commended himself to every man's conscience, the Bible says. He never used guile. Mm. Now, there's a place, of course, for wisdom and timing. We shouldn't be preachy or overwhelm people. We should be good listeners. Yes. But we should always be honest yes. about our intentions. Right. I want to take on the heart of Paul who travailed until Christ was formed in, in those he was serving. It's Galatians 4, 19. I suppose in postmodern, pluralistic Rhode Island, it would be scandalous for people to know that I am praying for every single person around me to become a fully devoted follower and believer of Jesus. But I am praying this. I'm praying that all would become such as I am. Think about Brown University. There's some Brown students. That's kind of a scandalous thing, right? To get up and say, hey, I just want everybody to know here that I'm praying that everyone on this campus would become such as I am, a fully devoted follower and believer of Jesus. You might get, they might bring back stoning. <laughs> I'm shifting gears here. David. Oh, the pictures. I forgot. Yeah, okay. So this is, oh, man. So uh, here's my reflection here. Look down over the landscape where David spent much of his life and where most of the Psalms were written, where Goliath challenged the armies of Israel. And Nick, who was leading the tour, shared a message with us about fulfilling the purpose of God in our generation and then dying because that's what it was said about David. Yes, David's life was not smooth. He was hunted 
like a wild animal. He spent a lot of time hiding in caves and crevices, weeping and praying and waiting. Looking out over the landscape, I just thought about how David probably had hundreds of little nooks and crevices where he would shut away with the Lord. And Nick talked to us about some of the keys that sustain David's life, like caring for your soul and friendships, like his friendship with Jonathan. May I, these are, these are prayers too, may I fulfill the assignments of God in my generation. May I not be distracted. May I not get off course. May I not be entangled in sin. May I press in hard after God all the days of my life. Our purpose is to know God and to make him known, right? If you've been in this church for any length of time, you've heard me say that. It's allowing God to test the heart and bring us into the wild to seek his face. It's to go out from the secret place into all the world to rescue the perishing and to save those who are staggering toward death because people are perishing all around us. That doesn't seem like they are. Right? They seem fine. They seem like they're happy. Mm. But if we could peel back the curtain and really understand what's happening in the spiritual realm, yes. like Jesus said, wide is the road mm. right, to eternal destruction. It's easy to just be on that road. That's the road most people are on, that road that ends. It may be, they may be having the time of their life on that road. It's not that they're all miserable, but where does that road lead to? What is at the end of that road? It's eternal destruction. People are perishing. May we not be apathetic, but may our hearts break for them to do whatever it takes to reconcile them to God. I pray for boldness, that we'd not be ashamed of the gospel, and that we would bravely proclaim Christ as the only true God and Savior. There are people who are caught in the thick of Satan's grip. They are blinded, the Bible says, by the God, small g, God of this world, Satan, enslaved. They do not know the Lord. They're not ready to die Mm. and to stand before the eternal judgment of God. Who will go to them? Who will reconcile them? Who will take risks to reach them? Well, the landscape was so beautiful in Israel. Um, It gave me a new understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he said that we are a city on a hill. Because especially at night, you'd see just kind of flat landscape and then just like a little, little kind of small hill, small mountain, and just this city just wrapped around the, the hill. Uh, just illuminating beautifully. Um, A city on a hill is beautiful and it's visible to all. It's illuminated and easy to find from far away. This is exactly what we as God's people should be in this world. The reflection on the call of God was important yesterday. This is what I'm kind of reflecting on what Nick was sharing the day before. Nick distinguishes calls from assignments. Assignments change. If I had to define my assignment in this season, it would be this. Plant and water small missional communities that will display the gospel to those who are least likely to step 
into a church space. This is my heart. And if you've talked to me recently, it's all I seem to be thinking about. In New England, the church has lost its relevance and potency. Many churches have become insular. We've fought hard in the last 20 years against that. That tendency is in all of us. There are millions upon millions of spiritually lost people throughout the six states of New England. The truth is that despite our fancy programs, our nice buildings, our clever services and outreaches, here's the truth. More and more people each year are resistant to entering into a church space just like the one you're in right now. We must go to them. We must establish spaces where unchurched people can access the gospel. If all we do is focus on each other, we are wildly missing the mark. Mm-hmm. The mission of the local church is to make disciples yes, and to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus to a lost generation. We're called to follow Christ and to be trained to be fishers of men. To miss this is really to miss everything. You know, on the drive over this morning, I was thinking, oh man, I hope, well, I wasn't saying I hope there's no non-Christians, you know, in the church, but I thought, you know, are they going to be overwhelmed by this kind of language, this insider language? But then I thought, like quickly, the Holy Spirit reminded me, you know, one of the first things Jesus said to, you know, his unschooled, ordinary fishermen that were probably swearing and not serving God at all. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Like from day one, it was like their their conversion experience was a call to mission. Mm. You know, nowadays we're like, oh, you know, just be in the church and, and learn about Jesus for like, 15 years and then maybe you can start doing some some mission stuff. That's, right. That's wrong. Yeah. That's wrong. We should be missionaries from day one. Amen. That's right. Because some lost people do trickle into our church communities and get saved, it's easy for us to be content mm. as Christians. But may we not be content to let those who will not come into our church spaces go to hell. May we go to them. May we reason with them. May we do whatever it takes to reach them, whether it takes a short time or a long time. May we be led by the Holy Spirit to rescue the perishing. May we not be apathetic to let lost people just perish. May we not be content to stay in the, in the sort of holy huddle mm, yeah. and even convince ourselves that people outside the church, just they don't want God. You know, They don't want anything to do with God. Mm. But ripe souls are out there. There are lost people who long to be found. This is more of an exhortation to myself, maybe from God. Stop believing that everyone around you is unreachable. Yes, that's right. Did the demoniac look like someone who was interested in coming to church? Mm. Did the arrogant tax collectors look like the the next potential deacons? Mm. How about the prostitutes or Mary with the the demons? Mm. But our call is Isaiah 61 to set captives free, to release prisoners and to preach good news to the poor. Well, one of the places we visited was En Gedi. 
and uh, it was beautiful. And this was a place where David was on the run, of course, again, and uh, he wrote many of the Psalms. It's likely that Saul, King Saul, was the one that was really after David, uh, trying to kill David. This is where it was just surreal seeing these little, uh, very dry place, but these little caves that were just carved kind of in the, the sides of mountains. And it was probably where King Saul was, the Bible says, in one of those caves. Uh, I don't want to get too graphic, but he was, you know, taking care of business. <laughs> um, you know, he had taken his robe off and was uh, doing his thing, um, going to the bathroom. And David sneaks up and could have easily crushed his enemy as Saul was probably in a very vulnerable position. But instead of doing that, he just snipped off, cut a corner of Saul's robe. Mm. And just, it was incredible just to see that, that it could have been that, that little cave there, that little cave there that that happened in. Mm. But the springs were, were gorgeous. It was incredible how this whole area uh, where in Getty was very dry, very dusty, even walking, walking, walking. It's like not a lot of things growing, just very dusty. And then all of a sudden, you kind of get at this spring and this beautiful, lush water um, just is breaking forth. So we actually gathered there, the 40 of us, and uh, one of one of the, the girls on the trip brought this little tiny acoustic Martin guitar and just sang some worship songs. And we each were asked to um, bring out a, a psalm that we love. So I love Psalm 63. This is just the first verse or two. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Um, it was a beautiful time. I just kind of broke when I was in that place, just the goodness of God washing over us, mm. just in the midst of dryness and desolation. Life can be like that so, so often, but God provides uh, streams in the desert for us. He's so kind. But it got me thinking about this idea of desolate places, um, the, the landscape was just so interesting, especially when we were in the southern part of the country. I mean, you would just go miles and miles and miles, and you know, especially around where the Dead Sea is. It's just, there's just like nothing out there. It seemed like nothing was growing. And so it got me thinking about this idea of spiritual desolation. Again, this is part reflection, part prayer. It's interesting. Lord, how you bring us into spiritually desolate and dry places in our walk with you. If we are going to have depth and potency in our ministries, we need to be shaped by dry, rugged, spiritual terrain. It is in the wild that we feel thirst. It's in the dry places that our soul longs for you. Bring me into the spiritual wilderness if that's what it takes, that I might depend not on myself, but on God who raises the dead. Let streams of living water flow forth from my inmost being. Send power from on high. I don't believe people in Rhode Island can be reached by mere innovation alone. I do believe in innovation, 
it's important. It plays a, it plays a role, um, or through buildings and programs. But those things, you know, we're thoughtful in the way we design spaces and the way we design programs. All of that is important. But we need supernatural power Amen. in our ministry. I pray for a mighty movement. Lord, I pray for outpourings of the Spirit. Yes, Jesus. Lord, I know that power comes through consecration and prayer and fasting, but there's an anointing yes. that comes only through pressure. Wine and oil, mm. symbols of blessing for Israel, yes, are produced through the wine and oil press. And we were able to see those things. It was really cool to see some kind of like ancient... Uh, oil presses and we're able to kind of play with them and stuff. It was really incredible to see that. But uh, these things are crushed, yes. right? The grapes and, and, and the olives are, are crushed and pressure is applied to them to bring out the, the sweetness. Rhode Island is mostly like the Dead Sea where there is no life. Multitudes are in darkness. 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life, spiritual life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There are a million people in our small coastal state. Most don't think they have any need for God or for anything beyond the nominal faith that they adhere to. But the day is coming when all the dead Right? So this is Revelation 20. Great and small will stand before you unless we are born of the Spirit. We will not see the kingdom of God. I'm praying that people would receive the Spirit. I'm praying that people would hear the gospel and that their hearts would burn or be strangely warmed. I pray that eyes would be open. I pray for a shaking. Yes. The people around us may appear spiritually dull and uninterested in the gospel, but whew, may I not accept that? If my child said she was, uh, she was going to head down a road that led to destruction, I would not accept it. I would not shrug my shoulders and just say, well... It's her life. She has free will. Now, I would grab her ankles. I would throw myself in the way of her path. I would travail in prayer. I would warn and plead. I would do whatever I could possibly do to turn her around. Why? Because, because I love her. May we love the people of Rhode Island this way. May we give ourselves no rest day or night until people come to know Christ. And may we never be content to let them go to hell. Yes, Jesus. I am praying that every single person in Rhode Island would be spared from the wrath to come. Mm. That none would perish. There's no other name under heaven, the Bible says, right? That can save but the name of Jesus. May we not hold back this simple gospel message. What message? Do you have Jesus? Do you know him? The day is coming when you will stand before the Lord. Only the clothing of Christ's righteousness can save. Only the blood of Christ can wash away sin. 
That's the message right there. Only the blood of Christ can wash away sin. No good deeds, no prayers can do it, not religion, religious uh, devotion. None of that can save. Not good intentions. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away sin. That's the message. Yes. It may not be popular, but it's truth. Wrath is coming. Mm. I set my face, Lord, to advocate for these dear ones. Yes. I pray that you would lead me into the wilderness and into dry and desolate places where there is no spiritual water, if that's what it takes to shape me and to make me fit to be used by you. May I come out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit like Jesus did. Well, then there was the Sea of Galilee, a much happier place than the wilderness. One of my favorite places was especially this, the town that Jesus lived in, uh, Capernaum. It was easy to imagine Jesus in this, just in this landscape. We spent a lot of time like right down on the beach of the Sea of Galilee and thinking about this is like where he, he called his disciples. This is where he probably sat with them and had fires and ate meals and had fish, right? This is where crowds gather. Sometimes Jesus would actually get in a boat and push out a little bit and and speak to the great crowds. Uh, Incredible miracles happened around the Sea of Galilee. His basic message could be summed up like this, repent and believe. Mm. In other words, turn from your present lifestyle and take on the lifestyle of a disciple. Yes, Jesus. Put your trust in Christ as Savior. This message really hasn't changed, right, in 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. So may we be faithful messengers and not bend it or water it down Mm -hmm. or modernize it or cater to the, you know, the present culture. May we just keep true to the message. That's right. This is the message that saves the soul. It's the only one. Jesus was persecuted for this message. He was hated and eventually crucified. This gospel message will never be popular in any generation. Never has, never will. It will always evoke anger in some. But listen, it's the only message that saves. May we be faithful to it. Another special place that we visited was Gethsemane, or called the Mount of Olives. This is the place that uh, Jesus would frequently go to and spend time in prayer in. Um, It was kind of a sobering time. We took communion together. Uh, I guess they have, I don't even know who owns all this whole Mount of Olives, but it's broken up into different sections, and we were in we were able to kind of like rent out a section of it, which was pretty neat. And so we were able to, as a, as a group, um, take communion together. Uh, it was incredible. Amen. And also just scatter and spend some time uh, praying and reflecting. And we thought about how Jesus frequently came there to pray. The Bible says he 
often departed to solitary places to be alone. Do you mean, you know, sometimes we, we, we complain because uh, everybody needs us, right? And so many people want things from us. Can you imagine being Jesus? What, how the demands on his life. People were always, one time he was like hidden away or something, right? And I forgot who has said it, maybe one of his disciples, where have you been? Like people are looking for you. <laughs> like they were just so like, imagine how effective he was. He could heal people. He yes. could encourage people. He could turn people's lives around. Yes. Everybody wanted him. So he had to get up super early in the morning and depart to solitary places. And this was one of them in the garden. After the Last Supper, he retreated there to this garden and he agonized in prayers and tears, loud cries. The Bible says he, his, his prayer was so intense that he sweat drops of blood, great drops of blood. He was in such agony calling out to the Father. This was right before the cross. It was in the garden the night, I think after his prayer time, that he was betrayed by Judas and arrested. So just being there was a reminder of the price Jesus paid for our salvation and a reminder that great spiritual works are always first bathed in many prayers, even agonizing prayers. Well, this is my last piece. We visited, um, toward the end of our tour, we visited the Western Wall, or maybe um, you've heard it called the Wailing Wall. Here is Jesus. <laughs> Hundreds of devout Jews stood praying and reading scriptures aloud for hours. Uh, so we went in there, actually, um, we were able to kind of go inside, and there's a whole library in there, and just, it was so intense, just the 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 focus and, and just the, the passion that people were putting in, the labor, the work, if we want to just put it that way. The, I mean, just even physically, you know, just with the rocking back and forth for hours and hours and hours. And in one sense, it was inspiring to be there, and it was like, wow, this is, this is the wall. You know, the, this is what I've heard about my whole life. But there was another part of, part of me that was like deeply saddened that people who, the, who are so devout are missing the Savior who has already come. They're waiting for a Messiah who's already come. It broke me. Mm. It made me think of Philippians chapter 3 where Paul, formerly called Saul, the Apostle Paul who like wrote most of the New Testament, right? You know, the great Apostle Paul, who was maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived and had a dramatic conversion that's talked about in, in the book of Acts. But Paul says this in, in Philippians, because he was one of these devout Jews. He said, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, what he means is confidence in their own good works, their own good, devout, religious works, I have more. He's kind of boasting yeah. just to make a point here. Yeah, and then he lists it out. I was circumcised on the eighth day. 
I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. In other words, like the, one of the leaders, renowned leaders. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yes. Paul was incredibly devout as a Jewish man, as a leader. But he says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. He's not talking about everything like all of his sin or all of the pleasures of the world I've given up. We sometimes use this scripture in that context. Paul's talking about all of my devout religious you know, intensity. I count it all rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Again, no amount of prayers or tears or religious devotion can save us. The Bible says all have sinned and are guilty before God. No one qualifies for heaven, even the most devout. Even the person maybe who is like, you know, sinned the least. Out there. Who, I don't know who that is. Probably not one of us, you know. But there's somebody out there maybe who's just like been really good, really moral, really obeyed tried to obey everything perfectly. Yeah. Nobody on the planet mm. qualifies right. for entrance into heaven. God is way too holy. Way too holy. There's only one way in, being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Christ lived a perfect life and in a sense offers his perfect life to us so that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, we're sort of clothed in his perfect life, in his righteousness. There's only one way. Through Christ. John 3, 36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's only one mediator, Jesus. That's right. There's no other name under heaven that can save but Jesus. You got it. There's one way, truth, and life. Jesus. The only hope for the world is Jesus. There's only one God and Savior for this planet. Jesus. Wow, you guys are like Pentecostal this morning. (laughs) Not really. Okay. (laughs) but it's a good effort (laughs) but my prayer is this may we not hold back this message of Jesus to a lost world around us let them wince let them scorn let them hate and cancel us let them fire us from our jobs let them disown us or unfriend us on Facebook who cares who cares let them throw us in prison. Yes, Jesus. Let them kill us. Yes. Who cares? To die is, to, is gain, right? You kill me, I'm, 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 I'm just going to instantly be in paradise. Amen. In the presence of Jesus. That seems good. So go ahead, kill me. Amen. Kill me now. That's right, amen. 
Right. Well, that brings up another verse in Philippians, right? Paul said, I'm torn, you know, because it's fruitful for me to be here, right? Paul says, my ministry is fruitful, but uh, it's better to die, Yes. to be with Christ, because to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. You got it. You guys can do the pre... What am I even here for? You don't need me. I'm going. <laughs> But may we not hold back the only message that can save people from eternal destruction. And I'm going to end with this verse, Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never known, never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Mm, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Yes, amen. So yeah, I am sending you out. Yes, uh, maybe some will go to the ends of the earth. Maybe some will go and be missionaries with live dead. Mm. Why not? What are you doing here? I mean, let's just do what God wants us to do. That's right. I'm not trying to hoard people. Like if, if half of you want to go to the ends of the earth and, and, and reach people in unreached uh, places, good. You know, we'll, I'll gladly have our church be half the size, even if all of us did that. I mean, wouldn't that be a, wouldn't that be a success? Yes, if yes. everybody, we preach one sermon and everybody's like, that's it, I'm, I'm done. We're done with America. We're all going to the 1040 window and we're, we're all leaving. And then I don't even know how we'd pay rent. We'd be, you guys would just be going, you're raising your own budgets, putting all your money, selling, selling everything you have, selling your houses, and you're just, you're all gone. And I'm here left alone. <laughs> that would be the coolest thing ever. And we just like what quietly shut the church down and and I can retire and I don't know, I'd probably come with you. Yes. But this is what God is calling us to do. He's sending us out. This isn't about just come and get spiritually fat. That's right. This is about like who is God calling you to reach? Who is your mission field? It could be here. I mean, if you're here, if you're at Brown University, that's your mission field for, for now. Yes. That is it. Um, your whole world is on that little college hill. Yes, like, right. that's your mission field. Pray and weep for people and be open to letting God use you. That's right. If you have a workplace, if you have extended family, if you're in a neighborhood, th these are the places where God has put us in this particular season. Um, he's sending us to these people. Let's, let's look at people different. They're not just annoying neighbors. Like, these are people who need Christ. Um, I mean, I don't even know why this is coming to my mind, but somebody had this crazy flag that had, a, like, a four-letter swear word and also the word Biden in the flag. You know, it was just, a, you know, it was just so, okay, do you have to, like, there's kids around. Like, this is our neighborhood. Like, I was just so, we were kind of, like, annoyed by it. But then, like, just driving in this morning, I was thinking, that, I don't, okay, I don't agree with your crazy flag or whatever, but this person needs Jesus, you know? Right. Like, I, we need to love our enemy. These are the people God died for. Yes. Amen? Amen. Right. Like let, let's just let's let's see people the way God sees people. 
Yes, they're perishing, and, yes. and God loves them, mm. and it's not His will for any to perish. That's right. That's right. So yeah, may God break our hearts. Yes, Jesus. Uh, today, and um, yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for thank you for this Israel trip. What a gift it was. Um, but Lord, my heart is here. You know, I don't, I don't want to live in Israel. I want to. I want to be here, and I just want to do this work that you've called me to do. And I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would just bear much fruit, that we would do whatever it takes to reach the people around us. Make us bold. Lord, forgive us for being, um, at times, ashamed of the gospel or ashamed to identify as a lover of Christ. Lord, I'm guilty of that. Um, But Lord, help us to be plain with people. Yes. Um, yeah, help us to be bold. Yes. We need your help to do that. Yes, yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus name.